Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dash Radio Show with your hosts, Don Wright DeBrantz and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on facebook.com forward slash the Dash Radio. Thanks and enjoy the show. Okay, this is Peter Mingles here for the Dash Radio. My co-host Dawn Wright DeBronx is on her way to another school event. And she's going to be joining us maybe as she's traveling through wherever she is traveling through in Arkansas. And we are going to get started with our guest speaker in just a second or two. But for those people that are listening, hello, Anthony. I see you coming on the call. Thanks for being here. We're just getting started. Um, for those people, that, hey, thanks for being here. I'm going to I'm going to give you like a better introduction in just like a second as you were coming on. But for those people that are listening in. Yeah, for those people that are listening in, we're doing a solo host with our guest speaker who I'll introduce in a second, but we started our radio station a few months ago as a result of, hey, listen, we have a great message. We want to help the people that are interested in listening in, and we thought about a theme called The Dash. And the theme called The Dash is, you know, if you looked on somebody's tombstone, they have a date of birth and a date that they're done and everything else in between uh, represents whatever they might have done with their life, and usually... Only those people closest to them really knows what that dash represents. So when we were doing our thing, we decided to do something with the dash as far as a everything in between. And with all the stuff that's going on in the world, we decided that we were going to collectively find great people to be able to share their interesting stories with. And as a result of sharing their interesting stories, maybe we could collectively help people with their dash. So we have a great guest speaker on the call today. His name is Anthony Mel... Oh, Anthony, I was so ready for you. Um, Mel... Delmenico. Delmenico. Del there we go. I'm, I'm sorry. I was looking at different things, and I squished screens, and I couldn't find it. But I've been watching some of the um, things that you've put up on your website. I've been taking a look at stuff that you've done before on YouTube. I've looked at your product line. I've looked at the different things that you're selling and your different background. And i got to share with you, I really appreciate you being here today on our show. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here. Now, you, um, I don't know where to start, so maybe we should just kind of start at the beginning. When I was reading the About section of your website, we saw that you started from humble beginnings and not necessarily had been always on the best track. But as a result of one of several things, now you're a, what you call a bootstrap serial entrepreneur and successful doing a lot of the things you're doing, and you focus on working with kids. And I know your daughter is an important part of your life, but for those people that may not have been able to visit your website or see any of your YouTube videos, can you give us a little background of, like, who you are and what you do? Sure, sure. Uh, if you're referring to, uh, you know, the kids' line of product, that's that uh, little green money machine. I launched that a couple years ago to help teach kids about entrepreneurship, something I think is missing in you know, K through 12 schools, I was missing a lot of colleges. And, uh, it's something I did when I was a kid, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. I uh, started kid, did several different kid businesses to make money, you know, because back then I didn't have, we didn't have a lot as a you know, single-parent family. Um, I did it more for fun, but, you know, also all for, for the need and want of money. And uh, I had a lot of good experience as a kid uh, with different small businesses. So, you know, later in life when I became a successful entrepreneur, uh, with different things, I wanted to kind of give back to kids in that way. So that's why I launched. I wrote that book to help kids to teach, teach them how to start their own business, it's called the Little Green Money Machine. And then I invented that stand, invented and manufactured that stand, which which goes with the book. It's a multi-purpose business stand for kids to teach them how to, you know, come up with an idea, whether it be a yard sale, a truck stand, or a snack shop, or whatnot. Launch launch their own business through a stand, which they design, how they put together a design. Uh, in, in conjunction with the book itself. Right. So for those people that want to see some of the products, if you go to the website that is his name, and I promise you I'm going to spell it the right way, it's Anthony, like everyone would spell Anthony, and then his last name is D-E-L-M-E-D-I-C-O.com. So it's Del Medico, 
D-E-L-M-E-D-I-C-O.com. You can take a look at the, some of the products that they have over there. And also I found that you're popular on YouTube too. If you go do the um, if you do if you go search his name on YouTube and you type in like one of the ones that I saw was the Fee Summit that, where you did the um, uh, seven minute educational speech over there it was great stuff and then you can see some of the products that you have so let's go back to um, you know like you started off as a kid and then you know you grew up like you had mentioned in humble beginnings it sounded like you had a little bit of an off track past as a teenager joined the military you know give us the whole story. Well, yeah, like I said, I grew up in a single parent, from a blue-collar type family. Uh, I was raised by my mom, three sisters. Uh, we didn't have a lot of, you know, a ton of money growing up, that kind of thing. I can remember going through some uh, pretty parents on phone stamps, the whole deal. Uh, as I as I got older, you know, in my teens, I you know hung around, did the typical. I hung around, hung around with the wrong crowd at thirteen, fourteen. Um, Ended up in some foster homes, that kind of thing. And you know, at the age of 16, 17, I kind of had an epiphany to turn my life around um, and, and start doing some positive things with with my, uh, you know, with what I want to do with my life. You know, one, one of the things I joined the military at 18, that certainly helped <laughs> from my uh, organization and discipline standpoint. But, you know, when I was a young kid, you know, even going through those, tri- those, those, those trials and tribulations as a young kid, I was always an entrepreneur even Oops, you're you're fading a little bit on us. You're fading a little bit on us. If you're on a cell, you're fading. You're fading. I don't hear you. Can you hear me now? I. You're almost there. So whatever you did. How about now? Perfect. Whatever you just did. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're, I'm, I'm downtown Atlanta here. I actually opened another office for my construction company, so it might be some of the buildings and traffic here. No problem. Okay, you're doing fine right now. Whatever, you, Wherever you are right now, just you're doing fine. Okay, so the reason why I like to hear about the background is because a lot of people, perhaps, that might be listening in, they come from all different sizes, shapes, colors, and ages, and some of them might have kids that were, you're describing maybe the son or daughter that they might have, or they might be in those situations themselves, so you started from less than humble beginnings. You joined the military. They have a tendency of kind of straightening young men out. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, yeah. From, a, from, a, from an organization and discipline standpoint, for sure. So that was a uh, good thing for you. Yeah, I don't think the military hatches entrepreneurs. Um, it tends to make people a little more rigid and organized. You know, one thing I did three years overseas in active duty army. I was stationed in Germany. I mean, I love the military for a lot of reasons. I also hated it at the same time because, you know, you don't have a lot of creativity or you, <laughs> you get to wear your hair a certain way, you talk a certain way. I went through officer school, became, a, became an officer in the military, and uh, it was good to, for me to learn, a, you know, the discipline, organization, and detailed side of things. Uh, but that entrepreneur, that entrepreneur in me, you know, the one that, that I had inside me as a kid was kind of shelved for a number of years. So when I when I finally did get out of the military, um, you know, I, I felt like I had something to prove to the world uh, in terms of launching that other side, which is you know, your right brain side, creativity, and expressing yourself and all that good stuff. Excellent. Okay, good. So, so you started that, and then I know that you did several projects. One of them was construction, and it sounds like you're still involved with construction now. I read through your site that you do a lot of consulting and things like that as well. So then from the military, you started being an entrepreneur, and then you focused on construction? Well, no, no, it's... When, uh, you know, I went in the military that actually paid for college, so I started with the Army College Fund. I went I went to college after the military, um, studied uh, studied business because I wanted to learn more about entrepreneurship and business. Um, I started businesses while I was in college. You know, the Army College Fund money actually runs out at a certain time. It lasts about four years. And so I went on to grad school, but the Army, I didn't have any money for from the Army College Fund to go on to grad school. So I literally had to start a business to stay in school. I mean, back then I started a uh, ballet company where I, I had 20 30, guys, 20, 30 guys that parked cars on Friday and Saturday nights at local you know, nightclubs, restaurants, and, and, and the Minneapolis area to uh, basically help pay my way through college. And uh, so once, I, I, once I did... Go ahead. No, keep going. No, I'm, I'm, keep going. Oh, I was going to say, once I finally did graduate from college, I was kind of on the fence post. I had an MBA degree in marketing from a top 25 business school, which was uh, Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota. But a part of me wanted to continue to be an entrepreneur. 
of course, the, you know, the NBA was pushing me towards corporate America. So I decided, uh, I decided to shut that, that ballet company down, um, at the last minute and, and dive into corporate America. So I, I actually joined, uh, worked at Ecolab downtown St. Paul for three years as a marketing manager. You know, your, your typical W-2 salary type job. It's a good job. Uh, learned the ins and outs of corporate America, how a publicly traded company works and all that. But, you know, even while I was there, I couldn't help but look out the window or, you know, look up in the sky and wonder about all the different businesses I wanted to start. You know, because, again, it all, it all goes back to when I was a kid and having those early childhood experiences of, of, of running small businesses, as silly as they were when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. Those planted seeds have stayed with me the whole, throughout my whole, uh, my whole adult life. And, uh, you know, eventually after three years in corporate America, I just decided I, it wasn't for me, and I wanted to, uh, you know, jump out on my own. And I had at the time I had a house in Minnetonka, Minnesota, and after a bad experience with a contractor, you know, doing some work on my house, I, I decided to start a construction company, which I started in the basement, basement of my house, basically, in 1999-2000. And... Uh, a year and a half later, we grew that from zero. We went from zero to twenty-five million in revenues. A year and a half later, you know, now now we're in ten states, ten eleven states. License in fifteen has turned into a small empire. Uh, we have a niche that we that we service in the insurance restoration market, uh, which is a little different than typical construction. But I've also, you know, over the last twelve years, been involved in you know different businesses. You know, invented and manufactured toys for kids, wrote books. And you know, I'm always on I'm always on the lookout, you know, on the horizon for different different opportunities. You know, it's it's hard to get rid of that I call it the e bug or the e breed. It's hard to get rid of that bug once 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 you have it. Well, obviously you you started off with humble beginnings. You worked your tail off. You learned your lessons from the military and then working for other companies. You kind of did some stuff on your own. And I was really fascinated with your. Um, I, I know it's way more than a hobby, but it's a passion, too, for helping children with your E2 project. So we're going to take a little bit of a break over here. We do a break about every two minutes just before every 15. So we're going to take a little bit of a break. I'm going to spin some records. Usually we have a gentleman named Axel who's going to spin some records, but we'll spin some records. We'll be back in about a minute, and we can hear each other during the commercial break. I didn't get a chance to cover that with you before. But on the other side back, I'd like to hear about the stuff that you're doing with children because I find that fascinating. So here we go. Good deal. Are you in a run about your taxes? No more with this simple template. Your business deserves the best and so do you. Try our simple bookkeeping formula. You'll look organized, find your receipts, and you might even get a write-off. One thing is for sure, you'll thank us. Visit bit.ly forward slash the dash taxes. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash D-A-S-H taxes. You've been listening to the Dash Radio Show with hosts Don Wright DeBronx and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on Facebook.com forward slash The Dash Radio. And now... Back to the show. Okay, perfect. You're here with Peter Mingles. Uh, Dawn Wright DeBrance is our co-host, and she's doing some stuff with her family today, so I'm taking over and we're talking to, oh, Anthony, let's see. I always I always flip the screen, so I'm looking at your bio. It's Anthony Del Medico. And if you want to see some of the things that he does and some of the fascinating projects he's working on, if you go to his website, which is the same as his last name, first and last name squished together, you'll be able to find it. So for those people that are writing this stuff down, it's Anthony, like you would spell Anthony, D as in Del Medico, so it's D-E-L-M-E-D-I-C-O.com. So AnthonyDelMedico.com, and he's got some other websites as well, but if you go there, that's a really great start. So Anthony... One, one, corre- hey, one, one correction there, that... Uh, the product line you're talking about for the kids, the entrepreneurial products and books, are actually located at uh, www.littlegreenmoneymachine.com and not the not the uh, AnthonyDemedico.com site. There, there's Got actually it. a lot more information on the youth entrepreneurship, 
and the stuff for kids on uh, www.littlegreenmoneymachine.com. Right. So if you remember the abbreviation is LGMM, littlegreenmoneymachine.com. So exactly like it's spelled. There we go. So so LGMM.com. So I, I was kind of fascinated with that, and i got to share with you, and I don't want to sound like I'm whining right now, but I work with a lot of adults, and sometimes that I find that working with kids is just so much more fun because they actually might listen and actually might apply some of the stuff that you're educating them on. So how did you get started? I know you have a daughter, and there's a, soft, uh, you know, there's a lot of us dads, once they have daughters, there's a little bit of a soft spot there. So besides the soft spot relative to your daughter, how did you get started working with children and entrepreneurship? Well, it was, it was uh, a couple of years ago, about 2008. My daughter was about five years old, six years old. You know, you start shopping in the stores, Toys R Us, Target, in the toy section. You start looking at kids' books and noticing that kind of stuff. And one thing that stood out to me was there was no toys, games, or books that really geared young kids towards entrepreneurship. And I started thinking, well, there might be a there might be a market for that kind of thing because you know here this is America, a, comp- a company or excuse me, a country founded upon by entrepreneurship yet. We don't have a lot of literature, books, uh, toys, games that that expose or teach youth to the concepts of entrepreneurship. In fact, most colleges today are just now starting to launch some entrepreneurship programs. It's almost non-existent in high schools. And so I focused on that that age group, that 10, 11, 12-year-old age group, um, because I think that's really the age where you can start planting those seeds. You know, when I was a young kid, that's when I started playing around with little businesses. just out of boredom and a need for money, but I think that's an age, with, an age where those seeds can be planted. So I started working on a book. You know, I guess you could say my daughter was was, was one of the reasons, um, but I started working on a book that would teach that age group uh, some of the basic concepts and desires and, w- and why they might want to be an entrepreneur, just like a young kid might want to be a fireman or a policeman or a lawyer. Why not, why not expose them in, in a direction of entrepreneurship? And, that, and that's when I wrote that book, which is called Kids in Business Around the World, it's also branded the Little Green Money Machine. And then I found out after doing a couple focus group studies with kids on the book that kids need more than just a book to experience entrepreneurship They because they need to play business. You know, kids at that age, they want to play. So that, that brought me to inventing and uh, working with some engineers and inventing that business stand, which is the Little Green Money Machine. So if you go to that website, you can see what that's all about. And the book is basically it applies the, the the stand applies the concepts of the book. So let's say Susie wants to make a lemonade stand. She goes to chapter two. She learns how to design, make a lemonade stand, where to go buy lemons, how to make it, how to price it out, how to make a profit on on lemonade. If if Tommy wants to start a snack shop, he goes to chapter five and he turns his stand into a snack shop. You know, it's equipped with dry erase banners, uh, lockable money drawer a built-in solar-powered calculator, and it's a mobile stand on wheels. So they can, you know, they can bring it to their school, bring it after school events, push it out in a corner, whatever they want to do with it. And basically it becomes a point of point of sale, a point of play. Uh, the motto of that company is, you know, if you can play business, you can learn business. And so that, uh, that started taking off in 2009, 2010. We started selling through Costco.com, com. I think it's sold through Barnes and Nobles and you know several other websites, and then we sell them right through our shop page um, at LittleGreenMoneyMachine.com. Uh, so we've shipped them all over the country. Um, but youth entrepreneurship still a, it's still a very early idea. I mean, most adults right now are trying to explore and learn entrepreneurship. So what I'm finding out with schools and you know, a lot of adults and organizations that the, the concept to teach kids entrepreneurship in that age group, 10, 11, 12 years old is still fairly, it might be five years before it's time. It hasn't taken off quite as fast as I'd like it to, but I think I think here in, in the coming years you're going to see a growing trend on youth entrepreneurship, which is which which is why I ended up going to speak at the White House uh, in November 2011 on this concept of youth entrepreneurship and how it can have a macro effect on our economy years down the road if we start actually focusing on this, you know, on kids at a young age. So that when they're 18 years old, you know, they understand the concepts so, of, hey, I can go out and start my own business. They're financially literate. You know, a lot of kids today at 18 can't balance a checkbook. Uh, they're in, they're going into debt. They don't quite understand the, the semantics behind of all that. Well, let's face it. Um, there was, a, I guess, a portion of time where we went from that traditional way people made and spent money to the electronic or the digital age. Like, I'll give you an example. I'm 
I, I may be older than you, I'm 50, and I remember the days when we used to go shopping on Friday, and the stores were packed, and I would say to my mom, Mom, why are we going to the store on Friday? The stores are always packed. And she said, because that's when your dad got paid. So when I grew up, like, you know, that so that was kind of scary as I thought about it years later. Like, you know, like if dad didn't get paid, does that mean we don't eat? But I started to remember that, you know, there was a time where I remember stores were closed on Sunday. And there was a time where it was a cash business. Who used the debit card? Debit cards, I mean, things like that. And we've gone over the last, I don't know how many years, but there's been an envelope of time where we've really lost what it was like to make and spend money. And the kids, I think they think that you just go to the ATM to get your money. You know, like, well, go get money. It's over at the ATM. They don't realize that there's something that has to be done first to actually make the money that you go get at the ATM. So there's a, a I'd say almost like a generation of kids that just don't really understand how money works. And with the economic boom where money seemed to be free if you owned a home and they gave you money on credit cards and people could spend wildly and you look around and everybody goes out to eat, I think there was a false sense of the way really economy works. So therefore, who's teaching the parents who are then teaching the children? And I don't know about you, Anthony, but I might sound a little bit prejudiced on what I'm going to say next. But when we went through that housing bubble and they were talking about, you know, we're losing jobs, I said to myself, we're losing them. Yes, they might be going overseas or they might be going away, but there's nothing nor anything that I see on the horizon that's creating them. We need job makers. And when I watched your presentation... And when I watched your presentation, we don't need jobs. We need job makers. And there's nothing on the horizon that I see, and I hate to sound bad about it, but there's nothing on the horizon that I see that are the job makers. So when you talk about that five-year window, maybe you're a little bit behead, you know, ahead of your time, you're right at the beginning of that bubble where I think people are finally coming out of that level of consciousness of we don't need just jobs, we need job makers. And that's why I love the stuff that you're doing relative to kids. So you can punctuate, exactly. clarify, or whatever you want to say, uh, what I just said, what I, I just said, whatever I just said. Exactly. There's a direct correlation on a macroeconomic level, and this is something I can't figure out for the life of me while our, while our politicians don't understand this, or certainly our teachers don't, but if the, the macro effect is that the number of jobs in GDP any country produces is directly determined by the number of engaging uh, entrepreneurs in their populations. And so if you have a, a country or society which is, which is, you know, exposing youth and young adults to entrepreneurship, and you're producing more entrepreneurs. Just by macroeconomics, you're gonna you're gonna produce more job creators. You're gonna you're gonna produce less people looking for jobs when they leave high school and college, and people that that actually have a confidence level and the skill set to go create a small business. Not not everybody has to be a Mark Zuckerberg and create a billion dollar empire. There's lots of micro enterprises. Lots of people that have businesses they start. They run them right out of their house. And they create jobs. It might be one or two jobs for two other people. It might be part-time jobs. But they're still creating income-earning opportunities for others. So if we understand and we accept the, the, the maxim that entrepreneurs, and it's, you know, the SBA says all you know, small businesses, which are entrepreneurs, create 75% of all new jobs in our economy. Uh-huh. If we accept that as true, then, we, then we, what we should do is try to, as, an, as, a, as, a, as a country, as leaders, we should be trying to grow or produce more entrepreneurs in our populations. And you can't grow entrepreneurs by just throwing money at projects or money at this or that. That's, that's not going to grow or engage entrepreneurs. You have to start with youth. The idea that someone that turns 18 years old has the confidence and skill set to start some kind of small business or enterprise sounds maybe far-fetched to some people, but if you start that seed planet in a fun way at that 10, 11, 12-year-old you know, market, and then maybe you have some classes in high school that grow upon it, just like a math, science, or English class do as we progress through school. By the time they're 18, you know, maybe their senior project in high school is to form their own LLC, start their first website and shop page and market a product and earn a profit. And so when they're 18, 19, 20 years old, they've had that experience level because entrepreneurship is all about going through a couple plateaus or a couple different experience levels, a couple failures and successes until they reach some kind of business model that can produce a profit and, and sustain them where they can eat, pay rent, provide some jobs for people. So 
you know, on a countrywide level, if we were to put some systems in place where we were, you know, churning out entrepreneurs, much like the military churns out soldiers, uh, we would have a gross macroeconomic effect 10, 15 years from now on jobs, GDP, uh, brand new whole technology, service products, entire new industries that would that this country would produce instead of this stagnant uh, plateau that we've had since the recession, where it almost seems like we're going backwards in time. And, you know, a lot of people with their handouts are looking for jobs or expecting the government. You know, the government doesn't create jobs. People, you know, people do. Entrepreneurs do. So we got to get back to that root, that root seed, which is the entrepreneur. How do we make more entrepreneurs? Well, it's an exposure, and, it, and it's, a, uh, it's an exposure at a young age because it takes a lot of people years to figure out how to become a successful entrepreneur in America because there's no system or blueprint for it. You know, there's not a blue. You go to Barnes & Noble today and ask for a book for, for kids or young adults in entrepreneurship. It almost doesn't exist for kids, which is why I wrote that one. Right, absolutely. Well, we're going to take a break. We're going to spin some records over here. It's only going to take about a minute. We're going to come back on the other side, and we'll continue our conversation. So here we go. Savage Smokes is a new site on the scene dedicated to the trending electronic cigarette industry. If you are looking into e-cigs as an alternative to tobacco and have been disappointed by the ones you picked up at the gas station or you've kept your money in your pocket because you didn't know which one to buy, head to SavageSmokes.com for honest and up-to-date electronic cigarette reviews on most e-cigs you see on the shelves. You've been listening to the Dash Radio Show with hosts Don Wright DeBronce and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on facebook.com forward slash the dash radio. And now, back to the show. Okay, we are here with Peter Mingles, um, co-hosting the show on the Dash Radio, and our guest speaker is Anthony Del Medico. So if you want to learn about Anthony, you go to the dashradio.com. So you go to dashradio.com, that's our website, or you can go directly to any one of two of his. You can go to his name, Anthony Del Medico, D-E-L-M-E-D-I-C-O.com, or you can go to the fun one for kids, the littlegreenmoneymachine.com, so lgmm.com, and we are talking about becoming or about entrepreneurship and a common theme that I have as well. So, Anthony, I think we're kind of like on the same wavelength in many ways, similar backgrounds, similar self-disciplines, although I didn't go to the military, um, but similar wavelengths, I think, of thinking is developing a mindset in people and you have to kind of start early on because sometimes it's really harder to start with people that are kind of like set in their ways already. And one of my pet peeves, which might be, well, it seems like to be one of yours, is most of us grow up where people ask us, what do you want to do? What kind of a job do you want to have when you grow up? And I think we ask the right question for those people that need jobs, but that's the wrong question for the entrepreneur. The right question for the entrepreneur is what kind of business or what kind of business do you want to start or want to end with or whatever kind of business you want to create because there's really two questions I think you need to ask kids, those that take a paycheck and those that write a paycheck. And I think I'm using words that you probably used at one time or another as well. So talk to us about that sweet spot, that fourth grade to twelfth grade that you're really pushing for for those products and that mindset to start to be taught in education. And it seems like you're an evangelist for that. You've spoken at the White House, obviously. I've seen the um, YouTube videos of you educating the younger children as well. So talk to us about what you're doing with the schools. Oh, yeah. Well, that start, yeah, yep. Go ahead. I, with, I thought I lost uh, you because you're on your cell. No, I got you. That started with the uh, the petition to the government to launch entrepreneurship education for kids in K through 12, specifically starting at fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, you know, market, which they call primary education, and then continuing as a class. And I'm talking about a required core curriculum, not an elective. 
but a required core curriculum no different than math, English, or science called Entrepreneurship 101. Uh, continuing on through their uh, juniors and high schools, high school years, um, and then possibly they can explore that as college students later on. But if, but if we if we start at that age group, you know that's really when kids and young adults start forming their own egos and self perceptions of themselves. If we can catch that and plant that seed at that age, you know when they're 18, let's face it, only 25% of all graduating high school seniors go on to earn a college degree. So what about that other 75%? What kind of job market do they face today? You know, due to globalization and everything else, and so if we if we hit that in that junior in that in that fourth grade to twelfth grade market, we're not going to turn everybody into an entrepreneur. That's not the point. Just like everybody's not a scientist or mathematician when they when they graduate from high school, but if we can expose even ten, fifteen, twenty percent of them to become effective entrepreneurs by the time they're eighteen, you know, some of them become entrepreneurs as young adults without going to college. It doesn't take a college degree to, to become an entrepreneur and start your own business. You know, it takes imagination and willpower. You know, imagination willpower trumps degrees, inherited wealth, access to capital, and everything when it comes to, you know, starting your own business and being an entrepreneur. And that's something we're missing in the education market today. That's something we're not instilling, you know, in young adults, which is why we got a lot of people wandering out there wondering, you know, what do they want to do, what do they want to be, and how are they going to provide them for themselves in the future and whatnot. Well, I watched in the video that you did at the Fee Summit with – the, and you pulled out a boomerang because for the first time you said in recent history, people went away to school and then they wound up coming back home, not necessarily voluntarily because they couldn't find jobs. So, <laughs> yeah. right, I mean, that's the way. And I, I have one son who's graduating from school and he's kicking his future down the road by going to graduate school now. So when he's got a music education degree and you say to yourself, well, what are you going to do with music education? And I, the answer is, how the hell do I know? Excuse my language. I graduated, from, I graduated with a biology and a chemistry minor as a pre-med major, and I sold vacuums two months after my graduation time. So, so if some people ask, are you using your degree to um, pursue what you did? I said, well, not really, not exactly. They didn't ever really teach me how to knock on a door, how to close a sale, how to handle a company auditor, or how to handle like learning how to do taxes or running businesses. It was important in my life, but it's not really something that I use every day. And what kind of resistance do you find? Because you're bucking a trend. I mean, that whole K through 12 thing is a fine-tuned machine that has a mm-hmm. lot of resistance against entrepreneurships. I mean, I worked with them when we worked with – I used to sell uh, encyclopedias – through a company called P.F. Collier, and I worked with the schools, and I and I tried to do certain things, and boy, is that a real tough crowd to kind of get into, and certainly almost so rigid, it's hard to move. There's a lot of people it's, that like yeah, it just politi- the way it is. It's a political is. machine. It's a political machine. I mean, to change a chapter or a couple sentences in a textbook takes a whole lot of argument and politics, you know, politics get involved between Democrats and Republicans, let alone to launch a whole new curriculum. So if you read the E-squared petition, you know, that I drafted, which is at www.e2petition.com, you can find the video of me at the White House and, and see my keynote speech, and you can read about the entire petition. Hopefully some of you guys sign it. That's www.e2petition.com. But if you know if you, if you look at what I'm proposing there, it's a top-down leadership uh, plan of execution. You know, we're petitioning the president, the secretary of education, the state curriculum boards, the state, you know, the gov- the governments, uh, the govern the governors themselves, the governor board, which does mandate to some extent these curriculum and, and what these schools teach. The petition is to the leadership to execute this as a top-down approach across all public schools. And if our if our government leadership is serious about creating jobs and is serious about turning around the economic situation in America and creating GDP and retaining our position as the number one innovator in the world, which means our global positioning in terms of you know other countries and all that, then we gotta get serious about creating entrepreneurs. And that and and if we're serious about it, we're gonna instill in our public education systems a curriculum, a required core curriculum called entrepreneurship. So we're going to start producing entrepreneurs. That's the only way to turn our situation around on a macroeconomic level. I agree. So, you know, you're either going to talk about it from stage like the politicians do, or you're going to really do something about it. And 
you're doing whatever you can to make your mark and you have a tough upstream battle ahead because this thing doesn't move. But realistically speaking, unless you and other people like us do these things, it ain't going to change. Certainly not for the masses, but maybe we might be able to control the ones that possibly could make a difference. Now, you had mentioned... If we get, if we get enough signatures on that petition, eventually, you know, because let's face it, our government leaders are all about popularity and votes. If we get enough signatures on that petition across the masses, if enough people understood this, they would pay attention. And you'd probably get both parties that would get behind this thing at the presidential level, possibly this president or next one, and get their secretary of education to look at this. But, you know, it starts with getting petition signatures because nobody's going to listen to anything unless, unless, the, unless the popular vote gets behind it or the masses, as you call them. If we do that, we get enough signatures. I'm hoping that happens one day. They will listen, and, and they, they probably will execute this plan because from an economic standpoint, it makes perfect sense. You know, it, it might be in the position where they have no choice. Um, I'll just share with you a short story that happened with us in the networking industry for network marketing relative to a gentleman named Dr. Charles King at the University of Illinois in Chicago. Dr. Charles was requested by the college way back two recessions ago or three recessions ago to do something with their graduating seniors. And he was asked by the dean to go out and find what these graduating seniors are going to be able to do because if you're a college and you're not producing people that are actually gainfully employed by the time they graduate, it's really not a good statistic. And he looked at direct sales, he looked at franchising, he looked at network marketing, he looked at a whole bunch of other things. But at the college level, I really think, Anthony, is a little bit too late. If you started doing it, and I think people hopefully will finally start to wake up, or enough of them probably will, where there will be some hope to turn this thing around. But if not, if we don't start to do it at the high school level or even before, it's too late, especially now when kids are being saddled with huge amounts of debt that they'll never be able to get over. That debt will probably be the, the chains that bind them towards achieving the level of success, and only the true entrepreneurs that would have done it any other way would probably never get a chance to really enjoy the success that you're enjoying right now. So I applaud yeah, you and everything it. I applaud you and everything you're doing for sure. Yeah, college is too late. It's all it, it, the entire school system up until college gears you for getting a job. I mean I went to one of the top twenty five MBA schools in the country. There was one little lonely class called entrepreneurship, and it was basically concepts. It wasn't actually doing anything. And this is a top 25 business school, and I went into debt. I went to $60,000, $70,000 in debt to go through that grad school. And so most colleges today aren't, aren't touching upon it, and you're right. By the time kids get to college, they've already formed this idea that they're going to college to learn this type of skill set to get a job for somebody else. That's, that's mainly the mindset of most colleges. Now, there are a few that are starting entrepreneurial programs. I don't want to take away from them. But it's so minute, and if you take the like, you know, if you take the college students themselves, that only represents 25% of our young adult population. So, is that you know, to only offer that as 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 a learning course for 25% isn't fair to the other 75%. A lot of those 70, other 75% may not be cut out for college academia. They may have not have money to go to college, but they still have the they still have the ability to be entre effective entrepreneurs if they're exposed to it at that young age. And so it has to start in a through K-12 system. If this country's ever serious about getting their, getting the jobs back and GDP and putting America on the map, it has to start at that age group. Right. It has to start reinventing itself, and it starts with the mindset. And the lessons that are learned that I learned as a young man uh, at a paper route, that was probably one of my first jobs, or a young man as an employee working at a fast food place or a grocery store, or a young man as a clamor. I was a clamor on the Great South Bay in New York when I grew up. I learned all different aspects of what it was like to kind of have either being an employee taking a check or an employer and somebody that was responsible for making a check and all the self-discipline that goes in there, and I really think that's lost. I really don't think a lot of kids do that sort of stuff. So that's what I loved about the 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 tools that you provided on the little green money machine with that little stand and that little stand was unbelievably reasonably priced 
and it would teach kids the opportunity to be able to go out there and know what accounts receivable, accounts payable, all those types of things. And I think even today, um, the technology has grown so much that those little kids can really build a somewhat profitable business. They could probably fund their hobbies and their education by playing around with some of those stands. And I'll just use this as an example. The technology is such where, and I never thought this was a, you know, Anthony, this is out of this world as far as like an old guy like me is concerned. But um, when we were talking about like swiping credit cards, heck, I remember when I first got my first merchant account, I had to, they ran a credit check. They had to make sure that my business was sound. I had to go through all these rules and regulations. I had to sign all these contracts. I had to go through all these different things. And now, in the mail, I get this little thing called a square. This little square is a credit card reader that I can put on my iPhone. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. No, yeah, no the credit check. Crazy. The technology is crazy. So if I wanted to sell $100 worth of lemons or lemonade, any little kid with an iPhone, which is probably something they can maneuver better than I can, can really, there's no obstacles anymore, Anthony, towards becoming that entrepreneur. It's so much easier, and they could do it worldwide. So can you touch on that and then the influence that you have with kids and I'm sure the side benefit of their parents as well? So go ahead. I'll give you the, I'll give you the chance to talk about kids, entrepreneurs, and any success stories you want to talk about. Well, as far as the technology you're talking about, we have all the technology everywhere around us for all that stuff, but what we don't have is the basic blueprint of connecting the dots for kids and young adults about how to pick that up and make that into a, uh, an income-earning potential or opportunity, you know, all that technology. So we simply got to connect the dots for them, and, that's, and that comes through education and exposure, and not just reading a book about it, but, you know, showing them how to do it, having mentors for kids in schools, you know, there's a gazillion small business owners out here. Why not? Why not bring some of those in as mentors to some of these students and juniors and high school, you know, high school students and kids, so they, you know, they can be exposed to that kind of thing. Excellent. Okay, so technology is such where the kids that's no longer a barrier. The um, tools are available right now because they could simply, for a couple of bucks, they can buy the stand and some of the other tools from you. Certainly within reach. I, I don't I don't remember what we spent on some of the kids' games, but heck, for the price of a game system and a few games, they could actually have everything they need to start a business. And which would I rather have, them sitting there playing another portion of whatever video games or actually start to work on their entrepreneurship? You can show them the different things, and you're leading by example. And then what's the next step? So what else are you – and I know you're building your regular business as well, but what's the next step relative to your being that serial entrepreneur? Where do you want to take this? Oh, the uh, youth entrepreneurship deal? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think you could use it, you know, besides K through 12, you got your at-risk students. I mean, at one time I was considered an at-risk teen, you know, in the foster home system and all that. I mean, a lot of kids that are, you know, misguided or they don't have the right – parental leadership or school guidance or whatnot, you know, a youth entrepreneurship program could save a lot of those kids out of disparity. I mean, at 16, 17, it, it saved me. I mean, it, it, a lot of kids turn to crime or juvenile delinquency out of out of a desire to earn money and not having the proper leadership or guidance. Boredom, boredom's another big one. Uh, teaching kids entrepreneurship, you know, and at-risk, at-risk students, at-risk kids uh, can get them out of that lifestyle because they're, they're able to find a way to, to, tap, to utilize their creativity and not be bored and earning income in positive ways versus negative ways, if you know what I'm saying. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, in my background, I used to be in direct sales. And in direct sales, I entered all different types of homes, high-income homes, middle-income homes, lower-income homes. And when I worked in the areas where the kids were really, they, there was really nothing there. I mean, the only way they could be entrepreneurs was to do probably nothing at all and live on the system or do the only jobs that were available with the only mentors and training that they had, which was usually the wrong thing, so they turned to drugs or stealing or whatever they did. And you looked at these young kids or these young men or young gals with those big dondy eyes that were just like, someone just show me. And they were, I'm going to affectionately say, they were the hustlers. They were the ones who could figure out. They had the survival skills. They were the ones that would do all of the things and kind of scheme, and based on their flawed philosophies or maybe based on the flawed materials they had a chance to get started with, 
they wound up on the wrong, you know, the wrong uh, track. However, mm -hmm. they were some of the most creative, entrepreneurial people I've ever met because they weren't spoiled. They lived on or near the street, and they had a chance to go out there and learn what it was like to survive. For them, unless they did what they did, they didn't eat that night. And those were some of the best entrepreneurs that I ever got a chance to work with if they could be guided in the right direction. So when you talk about exactly. at the education level, I mean, I'm, I'm right there because otherwise it's a catch-22 situation. And, you know, and that's not a good thing for anybody. We're going to sit here. We're going to spend some records the last time. We're going to come back and talk to our guest speaker, Anthony Del Medico. We'll be right back. I, and they make me push the buttons when I'm here by myself. So I've got to try to figure out how which buttons we're going to push. Here we go. Savage Smokes is a new site on the scene dedicated to the trending electronic cigarette industry. If you are looking into e-cigs as an alternative to tobacco and have been disappointed by the ones you picked up at the gas station or you've kept your money in your pocket because you didn't know which one to buy, head to SavageSmokes.com for honest and up-to-date electronic cigarette reviews on most e-cigs you see on the shelves. You've been listening to The Dash Radio Show with hosts Don Wright DeBronx and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on facebook.com forward slash the dash radio. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back. This is Peter Mingles hosting The Dash Radio. You go to thedashradio.com. I have our guest speaker, Anthony Del Medico, who has a site with the same name, Anthony Del, D-E-L-M-E-D-I-C-O.com. And then you can also go to the little green money machine, which I love that domain name if you go there as well. And we're talking about kids and entrepreneurs and uh, making and getting jobs and creating that entrepreneurial spirit, uh, uh, spirit going and doing all those really cool things. Anthony, as I'm reading your bio um, on the website, the anthonydelmedico.com, I'm finding that um, something's happened that you, are, as an entrepreneur, have learned how to, I'm going to say, take advantage of the cheese when it moves. And the thing that I'm speaking <laughs> of, the things that I'm speaking of specifically is you in the construction business, and I, I don't know a lot about construction, but I do know a lot about Florida and construction, and they died here. It was almost as if somebody sent a bulletin out that said, stop everything. And it was like we were booming for a real long time. And in Florida, I mean, it was just like stop building. And you could probably go for a couple of years before you can drive around any neighborhood and find a new home or a new store. Now, we were growing like crazy, and it just stopped, Anthony. I've never seen anything like it before in my life. And I don't know if that yep. was like it was with you, but yep, tell us about it. That was a direct result of the bubble that it hit in 2008. I mean, when people can't get loans from banks and construction companies can't get loans from banks for a variety of reasons, all the banks tightened up. I mean, everything came to a screeching halt, even, re even your basic remodelers. I mean, you know, before 2008, if someone wanted to add an addition onto their house or put a new roof on, they would just refinance their house. Pretty simple to do. That's unheard of today. Unheard of. Or if, or if a builder wants to go build a track of homes, you know, they're going to get financing from the bank. Well, there's all kinds of rules and regulations on all that now. So that's one of the main reasons construction came to a halt. Uh, we saw that coming. We, you know, we opened our first office up in 2000, um, but we focus on storm restoration, fire, floods, tornadoes, um, you know, major catastrophes, which there's been plenty of in the last 10 years. So our niche, one thing that we found is, you know, well, if the insurance company is paying the bills, it's recession-proof. <laughs> That's true. That's number one. That's so true. we found our niche to be in the insurance restoration, which is a multi-billion-dollar industry. Uh, we don't our, – our companies don't focus on new bills and – uh, we don't find a lot of customers out there, even in the high-end areas, that have the capacity or the money to do remodeling projects. It's just not there right now. The banks aren't giving out money for that to to, to most people. And so, you know, our niche is on the catastrophes. You know, we had trucks, guys, and equipment out in Long Island after uh, the big hurricane hit out there last winter. We've 
We're in several states that experience a lot of flooding. they got trucks up in Illinois and some zip codes right now with all the equipment to dry out homes after flooding. You know, they got a couple zip codes in Illinois that are flooded out. And so we, we tend to focus on that niche, which, is, which has done well for us over the years, even through the recession. But I've watched a lot of my friends in the industry, um, you know, go down the tubes because of that, uh, that recession that hit in 2008. Uh, it was a big deal. Right, because what they weren't able to do is they weren't able to reinvent themselves or adapt to those inevitable changes. And it seems as if, you know, I remember specifically, like over here in Florida, we were one of the fastest-growing counties, they said, in the country. And they were building up big homes and huge shopping centers. And, and I just said, I don't know how this is going to be able to sustain itself. And they're giving money to anybody that's asking. And it just seemed like it was flowing like crazy. And then when it stopped... Holy cow, did it stop. I mean, it stopped and it ended. So for those people that had to reinvent themselves, mortgage people, uh, construction people, people in retail stores, all of those type of things had the trickle effect. And unfortunately, because they didn't have the education that you're pushing for, they could not make those necessary changes. So I, like I said, I can't applaud you enough about the stuff that I see you doing with kids and the type of entrepreneur that you are, and the background and the example. So I really appreciate you being part of our guest speakers. Now, we have a lot of people that listen in that come from, um, uh, they, to use the Michael Gerber expression, they have that spasm of that entrepreneurial fit. You know, it's kind of like, you know, they want to be an entrepreneur, but don't necessarily know how. Um, or worse than that, they have a credit card and maybe some money available on it, so they wind up buying stuff from whoever they hear that they can buy some relative to an education. Can you give us a little rah-rah speech or a little bit of motivation for those adults that might be listening in to what is it like to actually go out there and be that bootstrap serial entrepreneur that you've become? And what did you mean by – I shouldn't say this, but what did you mean by bootstrap? Well, I mean, I – Every business I ever started, I started without a bank loan. Um, my construction company, I started the basement of my house. Uh, valet company in college, I started in my dorm room. Um, everything I started, I, I never borrowed money from anyone else. I never borrowed money, took a, took a loan from a bank to start a business. I built a little slice of the business I wanted to be, added a slice, made some money, added a slice until I made it bigger. So, I, you know, a lot of people use, I, you know, I don't have access to capital, so I can't start my business. You can always start a slice of a business that you want to become if you choose to. Let me give you an example of that. If you want to open up a, a hamburger restaurant on the beach, you might not have the money to go open up a hamburger restaurant on the beach, but if you really want to be an entrepreneur, maybe you can start a sliver of that business by getting a bicycle and going to pick up food and delivering it to people's houses for money. And you make a little money, and you get a couple of your friends on bikes to deliver food and pick up some restaurants for business. And so you're now in the food business, if you, if you hear what I'm saying, but you're not having to open up the restaurant and use capital. You're making money. And when you get enough of those little bicycles going and earning money, maybe eventually you, you, know, you, you open up that, that, that hamburger joint on the beach. So that, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you start with the smallest slice of what you want to become and do, and you start what you can tomorrow. Because a lot of people use access to capital as a reason why they don't start a business. There's no reason in the world why anybody can't start a business tomorrow. It may not be the big business you want, but you start a slice of it. You've got to use your imagination. And that gets back to that E-squared petition. You know, imagination, I believe that imagination and willpower are more important than degrees, 20 years of experience in a field, you know, inherited wealth, access to capital. Imagination and willpower allows you the ability to come up with an idea and launch it no matter what, you know, whatever it is tomorrow. You know, start a slice of it. You don't have to start the whole thing. Start a slice tomorrow and build upon that slice till, you, till your dream comes true. I mean, that, that's one of the things that I, that I think that entire E-squared petition is all about, um, is teaching, teaching young adults and youth how to, how to access and use their natural-born skills of imagination and willpower. Now, I, I'd like you to focus on some of the things that you said, and I'll just kind of guide you in reference to that relative to, like, get started with where you are. When I um, talk to different people and, and, and I listen to their excuses for not going ahead, I realize that they misinterpret the struggle that happens for the entrepreneur when he or she has to figure it out. There's some people that say, you know, I want to build a system where my people don't face rejection. Or I want to make a system where people don't have to really do the hard work. The hard work is done for them. 
And I say to myself, you're killing your own people. I learned more stuff, Anthony, by the stuff that didn't work out when I had my back against the wall, that where, where it looked like there was no end in sight, where I had to sharpen my pencil and figure out my goals and work the 18 hours a day. I learned more from that than from the easy ones. So are you someone that agrees with that statement? And I'll let you accentuate that however yeah. you want. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, entrepreneurs are, a lot of entrepreneurs are born through adversity. You know, you got different people have different backgrounds, but it's the adversity and struggle that you're exactly right that, that, that a successful entrepreneur is born because you learn how to overcome those obstacles. You know, again, that gets, that gets back to why you'd want to start as a young adult or a kid. You, you go through those trials and tribulations when you're younger, and then it becomes a norm because you, an entrepreneur is born out of failure just as much as it's born out of success. You know, I've started several businesses that I failed at. Or you get three months into it and going, well, this isn't really a great idea. I'm going to, you know, you go a different direction. But you might get down a certain direction and you find a whole different sliver of another business because you went down that direction, saw, well, that didn't work. It brought you here at this path. You know, so if you're not out there exploring and bumping into trees, you know, and bumping into different obstacles, you're not really going to find out that ultimate experience of success as an entrepreneur. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. You hit it right on the head. And I probably know what you're going to say about my next statement. But could you imagine when they talk about extending unemployment benefits past a year, like Anthony, like this, like how long would you ever, first of all, you, you wouldn't be employed, but how long would you ever be unemployed for before figuring out that maybe you have to do something? Like would it take a year? Would you need Congress to extend those unemployment benefits? And just that thought, I can give you my own opinionated thought process relative to the majority of those situations. But if they learned the lessons that you would teach as a kid, how long would they stay unemployed? Well, you would hope that you would hope that some would never be in a situation where they'd have to take unemployment because if 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 they weren't employed, perhaps they would launch something on their own or find a different path or a different job. I mean, not everybody can be an entrepreneur, but. You certainly can be a, a micro-entrepreneur or find a different path in life. Uh, I, I've never taken unemployment, so I, I mean, I really don't understand the concept of getting money from someone else for anything. Never had a loan from a bank. Um, there's some times where I've wanted a loan. <laughs> right. Me, but, um, you know, unemployment, you know, if you keep giving a man money or, or a woman and you give them no incentive to reach out and do something else, you're going to you're gonna create a sense of entitlement. And... Uh, you know, but the other side of the coin is, you know, somebody like like my dad who worked in a steel mill for 30 years. If he suddenly became unemployed at 50 or 60 years of age, you know, at one time he did. I mean, at that point, what is a person like that going to do that doesn't have that education or background? So, in, in some cases, there might be a, an argument for unemployment. Um, as far as extending it out for years or months on end, you know, I, I'm not really one that I don't really understand that concept. And I would say, but, what are we? What are we doing to educate? Like, for instance, there's a long time ago, that's what people did. You got a job at the steel mill. You worked there as a loyal employee for 30 years. You never expected the gover- you know, the, the company to close because they were outsourcing their jobs or doing any of that sort of stuff. And if they need a hand, hey, I'm all about giving hands to people, you know, because that's what a good society does. But if it's just a check and not an education, I think that's part of the challenge. Yeah, you're creating, you're creating entitlement. I mean, there's a time in this country when none of that ever existed. I mean, there's no such thing as medical coverage and medical insurance. I mean, there's a doctor that lived down the road. There was no such thing as unemployment benefits. And, you know, we basically had a a country full of entrepreneurs, what we had, you know, farmers, shopkeepers, like that. That's how this country was built and founded. Um, And now we live in a diverse society with, you know, millions of people in the population. you got a tax system that's going to get taxed every which way but loose, sales tax, income tax, death tax. I mean, and so now you got you know you got a lot of politics involved. I just I really don't get involved in all that because I'm so busy working all the time, launching businesses. I just couldn't imagine myself in a situation of sitting back taking money from someone. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's a so different, as an entrepreneur, different it's a different mindset. It's a different mindset. So the cool thing is, if we teach the kids when they're in school, at least the seeds of that entrepreneurial issues, they'll never pay the price later on in an ever-changing world. Because that, yeah, that just, 
Exactly. Get, yeah, it gives them a confidence factor and a skill set to carry through life. So if they do become unemployed or if they're like the current college grad today, 80% of which can't find jobs in their field of study, um, you know, maybe they'd have another skill set to go, you know, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not going to find a job as a, uh, as a marketing manager in, in corporate America, you know, with, with an MBA degree in marketing. Maybe there's no jobs like that available. Maybe it's overpopulated. Maybe I won't find a job as an attorney. What else can I do? Well, right, if they're exactly. the entrepreneurial experience, you know, that entrepreneurial bug was planted back in the early years, they, the, that engine in their mind will start working. You call it the e-bug or the e-spasm. It's hard to get rid of that bug once you have it, especially as a, as a, as a younger younger adult or young kid. Once you get that planted, you carry that with you, just like 2 plus 2 equals 4. I mean, you're, you're mad. We carry our math skills with us through our life because they're drilled in our head as kids. You can, in a fun way, drill that same mindset, the e-mindset, into millions of young minds. Um, so when they graduate, they have that they have that confidence factor. And right now exactly. it's missing out there. Exactly. Well, we're running out of time. Anthony, I really appreciate you being here. For those people, maybe we can have you come back. For those people that are listening in, anthonydelmedico.com or the Little Green Money Machine. So, Anthony, thanks for being here. I apologize for running out of time, and uh, we'll speak to you next time. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for You're having welcome. Me. You're welcome.